0: Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Welcome to part two of my chat with Cam Elliott, the amazing performance coach who looks beyond the athlete to the human standing in front of him. If you haven't listened to part one, hit pause and go listen to that now. This episode will be waiting for you when you come back. In this episode, we chat about the lessons Cam has learned along the way, as well as an interesting perspective on the future of sport. In particular, the place of performance-enhancing drugs in sport. That's enough for me. Let's get into it. Is there another lesson that you've learned along your journey that you'd like to share?
1: Another lesson? I mean, how much time have we got? I, <laughs> there's a lot of lessons I've learned, but, you know... <laughs> a lot of lessons that i've learned are from failing and failing is great i think so maybe that's the lesson in itself is that you you'll only learn something when you lose when you fail when you win you don't learn anything it validates something you already know and mm-hmm. that's that your ego thinks it's the best and it thinks it's the most unique snowflake in the snowstorm when you lose you get a reality check self 1st stuff that says hey you're not better than something and someone at something and you have two options you can sit down and cry about it and go oh, i'm the worst or you can say hey i'm gonna go and ask that person to show me how they did that then you get better that's how you get better you only get better by losing by failing you can't appreciate a win until you've had a loss mm-hmm. if all you do is win forever 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 it just validates that you're the best at something uh and i feel like that is a great lesson to teach not just athletes ever but especially athletes you know
0: at the simplest form of that like i'm Thinking, okay, as a swim teacher, which I've been doing for 10 plus years now, you get the kids, whether, you know, coach state athlete, as well as learn to swim babies, you, you do that little micro dose of failure to go, well, actually, you don't know everything yet. <laughs> Like, let's keep working towards The only toward difference this. is
1: that yours is a much more high stakes environment where if they fail, they might drown. So you're like, how do I not let this person drown, but also fail in the pool?
0: I know exactly how to. I have my methods and it depends on the kid. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> but like, And you've uh,
1: also got first day to fall back on, I guess.
0: Yeah, but for example, like I'll be in the pool with a little kid that will be super confident on the steps or the platform where they can stand, but the pool depth is not their height. And I, I'll go, okay, well... You swim out to me if you think you can. And they'll usually go, Don't touch me, I can do it. And I'll be like, Great, no worries. I'll either take away a noodle or take a step back. And I'll be like, off you go. And then they'll come up. I'll have to grab them up, not off the bottom, but like their face goes in for a second or two and you're like, Oh, look, well done. You you had a go, but but you didn't do it by yourself, did you? You need a little bit of help right now. So that's why you need to listen or stay on the steps. Little things like that.
1: No, that's good. That's perfect. Yeah. You and we can take that as a great example about another thing that I use for myself, not for other people, because this mm-hmm. would sound cruel. I love to leverage fear as a learning tool for myself. And mm-hmm. I am always leaning into things that I'm either scared of or that make me uncomfortable, which which I got from getting up on stage. I had a crippling public speaking fear. And then I got up on stage and people were like, how can you act on stage but not speak in public? And it took me a long time to realize that it's because when I'm on stage, I'm not myself. Mm. So then I started doing some more presenting and I realized, oh man, I'm presenting stuff that I already know. So I shouldn't be afraid. If I'm afraid or nervous, it's because I don't know what I'm talking about. And that put the onus back on myself. So that if I'm nervous before a public speaking event, I would stop and say, I know what you're talking about. And if I said no, I'd be like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm in trouble. But if I, like, you know, I, I've never said that. I would always say, yes, I know what I'm talking about. Well, great then if you know what you're talking about, you're the expert they're here to speak to, or that they're here to listen to. Mm-hmm. So just tell them something, just give them something to play with. If everyone here knows knows this already, then awesome. Then you're not teaching them anything, then there's no stake. If a few people wanna learn something really cool about great, then there's less stakes, but there's at least something at stake. If everyone here has never heard of these concepts before, then you better make sure you know how to explain this so well that everyone here leaves having the understanding of the principles. And when I put that kind of responsibility on myself, it became less about being afraid of the thing, which was public speaking and more about the responsibility, that leadership quality of ensuring everyone understood what I was talking about before I left. Mm -hmm. And everything went away. I was like, oh, I'm not scared of talking to people. I'm scared of not teaching them properly. So then when I started understanding that, I was like, fuck, just make sure you know it. If you know it, then you're not going to, make the mistake of not teaching someone. If someone asks you a question you can't answer, you simply say, hey, I actually don't have an answer for that right now, but let's come back to that later. Mm -hmm. You you leverage those moments to um, keep people confident in your ability, but just don't bullshit about it. So I leverage that level of fear for myself. And that's what you're doing there with those kids. You're saying, hey, if you're confident, show me.
2: Mm -hmm. Don't
1: tell me, show me. And I do that with my athletes. Don't tell me, show me. Yeah. Because if all you're doing is telling me, one day someone's going to come along and show you that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. So show me that you can do it. Don't tell me. And then when they can't do it, I catch them and say, hey, good effort. You did a good job. Let's do it better by maybe changing some things. Uh, And you're taking the fear of, of trying and failing away from them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And like, I think it's quite special. Like, I know it's, and it's a great tool because it sorts any issues out when they're like, I can do it. I can do it. They don't listen to you for three weeks in a row. And you're like, okay, <laughs> let's do it then. Let me and, drown I, this kid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh mom, look, we're going to try this. And I've been telling them how to do it for the past, you know, however, however many weeks, but then they get to have a go. They get to see that they failed, but then they get to learn from that and go, oh, okay. So if I put my head down, then my hips aren't going to sink. And I'll be able to float, and then I can move from A to B easier. And it's just you know simple things, but they wouldn't have known that if they hadn't have failed because they already thought they could do it.
1: Yeah, failure is a great tool, one mm. of the tools that exists for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such a you know in in if we're being real about failure, as humans, failure is such a low stake for us. In the animal kingdom, failure means that you're getting eaten by mm-hmm. something. So i like to encourage people to understand that there aren't you know some apex predator waiting for us outside to chase to work sometimes I wish there was because it really you know it really opened people's eyes up to the world but there's not an apex predator out there waiting to hunt you when you wake up and you don't have to sleep with one eye open mm. so when you go out and you say i can't do it i'm going to going to get it wrong in my head i'm rolling my eyes going fuck me it's not like there's some lion going to eat your ass alive
0: if you get if it wrong. you
1: get this wrong you know you'll just get it wrong and look a bit silly
0: mm. and that's
1: part of my personality as well i like to be silly to make people understand that there is nothing wrong with being vulnerable and looking silly mm-hmm. but you know, people have to do it. They've got to try. If they don't try, then they won't do it. Simple. They they will never get it if they don't try it. So you take the fear of failure away and they will try more. And the more they try, uh, the better they get. If they try too much in one sitting, they burn themselves out. So then you learn how to, then you teach them how to microdose, which is, you know, coming back to the gearbox analogy. That's mm-hmm. learning how to sit through gears one, two, and three. If all they do is gear four and five all the time, they're going to burn out. And even when they compete, I teach people how to use gears one, two, and three. If we use football or netball, field-based examples, how many of the best athletes in that game in Australia do you see running and jumping at gears four and five for a whole game? Yeah, they don't. The best, the best football players, man or woman, they spend all their time just moving from A to B and they float from their A zone to their B zone and they're just waiting for their moment to strike. They're the apex predator, ready to just tear someone's ass up but everyone else around them is running like headless chooks. I watch that in the AFL. I'm like, some of these players get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and they're running around like headless chooks. <laughs> uh, it's insane to watch, but when you, when you see someone who truly gets it, who really learns how to navigate that gearbox, mm. it is, it is really special to watch. And I will challenge all of your listeners Again, I'm going to throw an arbitrary number out there. 99.99% of the people listening to this podcast don't know how to access gears one and two. And if they want to challenge me on that, I will let them come down and show me for free. I will prescribe something for them to do in 15 minutes and they can show me they can do it and I won't even charge them for it. And if they're wrong, they'll learn something about it. And if they're right, I'll give them a pat on the bum and tell them, hey, great job. Go win. Go chase greatness.
0: Oh well, there you go, guys. Like, if you want to take Cam up on that challenge, I I challenge you too and uh, tag us in it. <laughs> I want to see. Yeah,
1: double challenge.
0: <laughs> in saying that, though, like you are speaking of the gearboxes, and we had a swim coach, Rob Moon, wonderful man, taught me so much about sport and swimming in general, but just yeah about life. And he actually said, "You've got to do this at gear." one or gear two and he used to tell us exactly what gears and I guess because we were semi racing at a state slash national level but we were all semi new to that training so we'd come in and we'd be like oh yeah like 200 meter warm-up great let's go at gear five like you said but no he said no this is at gear two to three you started at gear two and you finish it at gear three and being able to switch those gears and then even like In terms of in the pool target times that we would do for example like i knew my gear five is obviously my max effort it's faster than my max effort it's you know if i'm going gear five i'm getting pbs if i'm to do what i want to do and then gear four was you know plus a second gear three was plus two or three seconds gear two was maybe plus five to seven and then gear one was plus five seconds or, or whatever it is, and we'd have those times and dedicate it. But being able to transfer that to another sport, I couldn't do it. Don't ask me how to do it when I run. I have two gears. I, yeah. have, gear, I have running and I have walking.
1: <laughs> and walking, yeah, that's most people I work with. Yeah, they don't understand how to regulate it. And when I teach, like, I'll teach you right now that, that there's, there's two principles that underpin any adaptation. You've got intent mm-hmm. and intensity. Intent is the attention that you can dedicate, or I guess the resources that you can dedicate to an, an, a stimulus. And the intensity is the resources that you actually have mm. to dedicate to a stimulus. So intent is how much do you uh, want to dedicate to this because you know, you've know you got to be able to concentrate on it for long enough to get it, but not too long that you're impairing the the stimulus because that's going to impair... The adaptation and then uh how much but like show me physiologically that you can dedicate that many, that many resources to it.
2: Mm-hmm. Because if you
1: can't, I have to step in and I have to microdose it for you, which mm-hmm. is essentially my job, right? So you look at learning how to navigate a gearbox and it starts with understanding intent and intensity. If you can't concentrate on running slow, you'll never run slow. And then as you get tired, you'll speed up, mm-hmm. which seems to be counterproductive to people that want to run efficiently. Again, come back to endurance athletes. Of all the endurance athletes that I've worked with, and I've probably worked with over 20 in the last five years, they all come to me because they want to get better at running. None of them need to run more, yet all they do is run. Mm-hmm. Everything they do about their training is based around running. They've got to get calves into the legs. That's one of the biggest myths that I've blown out of the water in the last five years. And it's been blown out of the water again and again the last five years with science. Got to get Ks in the legs. Bullshit. You don't need to get K's in the legs. You need to get high quality Ks in the legs. You need to learn how to regulate your gearbox so that when you're getting those K's in the legs, you're not running at gear four and five. Mm -hmm. Because if you're running at gear four and five, you're getting a high stimulus, but you're not getting the adaptation out of the stimulus because you've already adapted to it. You can run. And I had a girl that came to me and said, oh man, I get pain at like kilometer 60 when I'm running and and I need to be able to run this friggin' 65 kilometer thing. And I get pain. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? Like walk with you until you get to 60 kilometers and then see why you're getting pain. She goes, yeah, well, I don't know what I need to do. I just, I need to to show you what I'm doing when I run 60 kilometers and I just don't know how to do it. And I was like, it's easy. I'll put you on an assault bike for 20 minutes. Then let's go for a one kilometer run. Mm -hmm. Sure enough. You know, we make her tired and we don't have to run 60 K's, which proves that it's not about K's in the legs. It's about resource management. Mm-hmm. And then when I showed her, I was like, mate, you're you're making so much noise. I can hear you. And I'm about five meters away. I can hear you as if you're next to me. I can hear you as if you're running on my head. So then we learned about more efficient running strategies, low-level running strategies that she could adopt into her training. And wouldn't you know it? She hasn't had pain since because mm. she's not running at gear five and six or bloody 10 when she's doing her training. She's running at gears one and two. When we train on the assault bike, she's, she's training at gears one and two. And I teach them how to do that by prescribing the assault bike at the start of their session. And then there are strength coaches that are listening to this and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, is if they don't know how to regulate their gearbox, mm-hmm. if they know how to go through gears one and two, the assault bike, is a gentle warm up. If they don't, the rest of their session is really friggin' hard.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and that proves my point if they get off the assault bike and say how did that feel and they go yeah good and then they can't do the rest of their session effectively i say let's have a learning moment was the assault bike as good as you said it was because objectively all of your numbers have gone down mm. what do we need to work on we need to work on your understanding of intent and intensity or i've missed something and it could be with the girls it could be a menstrual cycle that's come a little bit early and I sit there and say, "Hey, let's have a let's have a candid conversation about this." I'll pull up their program. I've got dates on there. I track everything and say, "When are we due? We're due in the next couple of days." And they go, oh, "I'm a bit cranky. I'm a bit grumpy. Might be the next few days." Great. Hormones that are blamed for this, mm. or not. Let's not say the word blame. Hormones are responsible for this performance change. Yeah. So let's take that into account, and in a week's time, or a five days time, or however many days until we do the session again, we're going to. Prescribe the same session, the same weights, the same load and reps. I want you to show me that you can regulate the session. Show me you can own it and then we can prescribe more. And they always do. They always come back and say, I'm ready. They don't sit there and go, I'm bored of this session. I need something different. They say, this is the challenge in front of me. This is the obstacle. Mm -hmm. and And I need to show myself that I can get through this session and I can do it with efficient and effective movement patterns so that at the end, I can get it ticked off and we move on to the next thing. And when they understand that, it's not about, oh, I'm bored of this session or I need to be training more. It's, all right, I'll show Cam that I can do it. And when he sees I can do it, he will find the right dose for me and then we will move forward together. And that's really, really powerful. But it doesn't happen if you don't know how to regulate the gearbox. And that's my job is to teach people how to regulate the gearbox. If they can't regulate it, they're not paying attention or I'm a shit coach. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not a shit coach because I'm not going to put myself on that pedestal, but I might've missed something. If I've missed something, then they're not going to learn it. So I've got to find constantly like juggle my way through that spectrum of, am I doing the wrong thing? Have I missed something? Or is this person just not able to refine their attention to the details I'm asking to refine them to? If that's the case, then I've got to be a better coach. If I've missed something, I've got to be a better coach. It's a really easy, simple solution that way. Like, I just look at it and go, How can I be better for this person? Am mm. I missing something or are they missing something? If they're missing something, I need to find a way to help them understand it. I need to be a better coach. But that's, you know, that's one of the things that, um, that I would encourage everyone to, to consider. You know, are you training at, a, at an intensity that replicates your sport? If you are, you might be training uh, too hard. Like, you might be training at a point where you're not getting any adaptation or not a not an enriched adaptation so you might benefit from learning how to train at a lower intensity which will be a a challenge in itself it'll either be a mental challenge or it'll be a physiological challenge but it'll be a challenge
0: Mm, i like that and i think the the work that you're doing to again like develop the athlete develop their personality but more so like pull it back and go no no this person's a human and that holistic picture really does benefit them yes the short-term goal of whatever it is like it could be the 16 year old who wanted to do footy or it could be the long-term goal of being a healthy human and a healthy adult and you know living a fulfilling life but has there been like a project that you've been involved in where you know you've been able to use your tools and your knowledge to develop the community
1: one thing that, I've re- that I was really proud of for my short time there was when Tyab Football Club started up a girls uh, football program and the coach, Matt Dimkos at the time, uh, he asked me to come on as an assistant coach because I, ha- I just had a different way of thinking about football that uh, we used to you know, really resonate about over at the gym and we used to talk about it a lot. So when I came on, um, he asked me to help get the girls up to a level where you know their running wasn't going to be um, taking away from their time in the, in the training sessions that they were doing twice a week, you know, he didn't want them just doing running, mm. but he also wanted, he, he understood that they needed to do some running because if they didn't, they weren't going to be match ready for the first, um, first preseason game against Piercedale. I'll never forget that game. And, uh, so what we did for about eight weeks was I, I did a little bit of, um, maximal aerobic speed testing, just some really light stuff. And then I started prescribing that MAS within the training session. So they would do some drill stuff. Then they would all run over to a designated group that they were a part of. It was either an A, B or C group. And then it had a specific distance that they had to run in 15 seconds. But they were microdosing their running. And it felt like they weren't doing anything. And I even had the captain at the time, uh, Katie, come up to me and say, I don't think we're running enough. And I was like, please trust me. I get, I get what your fear is. And you can do all the running you want after this, but you're getting plenty of running. Just focus on getting the girl's skills up because mm-hmm. when they get tired, the skills go out the window. Mm-hmm. We don't want the skills to drop off. We want the buffer to be the fatigue that we're, we're trying to stave off. And we're doing that, with the running. And then towards the end of those sessions, I would do something called a yabby net, which, cause they were the Thai yabby and I did something called a yabby net, which is all the girls would get in a big fight circle. It was sick. And I would put a bib on every second girl. So there was like a fluoro bib on every second girl. And I'd put a football in the middle and pick someone out, they jump on in. And then I would, so they would either have a bib or they would. And I'd say, you get to pick your opponent. That opponent comes in, they wrestle over the ball for 30 seconds on their knees. And every time they handball the ball out to somebody that's of their color, that team gets a point and the yabby net was really effective at doing two things. It was off legs conditioning. Mm-hmm. So they were learning to get scrappy on the ground and they were spending time on the ground because that's where girls' footy was spent most of the time when I was watching it, it was spent mostly on the ground because the skills weren't quite there yet. So they were building a skill around getting scrappy on the ground. They were building handball coordination and they were building handball coordination under pressure but the beauty of it, I took from something I learned in Japan, which was a sh- called a shark tank that I did in, in some um, jiu-jitsu with my Aikido guys. And that's where uh, you have to stay out in, uh, in the middle of the circle for 10 minutes and you have 10 one-minute rounds against a fresh opponent after every minute. Mm. And that opponent, when they come in, they get to put you in whatever position they want to put you in within reason, and then you just have to struggle and suffer and not die for 10 minutes Uh, and every time you tap, it took away from your score. And, you know, it was just this arbitrary score. So I was getting the girls to sit in there for 30 seconds and each girl would stay in there for two minutes. So they'd have four opponents. Uh, And we'd spend 20 minutes doing it and it was so much fun. And the girls would build awesome little rivalries so that, you know, we'd have one girl, Kylie, and I'd say, Kylie, you're up. And she'd point at the girl that beat her last week and go, get in here, I'm fresh as a daisy. We're going at it. And it was awesome to watch. And then when we played our first game against Piercedale, uh, I think at halftime, the score was something ridiculous, like 60, 60 or 70 to four or something even less than that. And um, girls at halftime, Piercedale girls, when they came back out, they looked like they didn't want to be there. And every single time the tire girls were, were going hard at the ball or putting the Piercedale girls down, we were bouncing back up and we were already on the ball moving the ball and and the passages of play were really clean and crisp because the skills were there from what matt had been refining but the pierced girls were like rolling over on the ground and slowly getting up because they just didn't want to get up every time they got up they got hammered and it was something special to watch because i was sitting there kind of like smiling thinking this is great to see but i also felt a little bad because i'm like shit we've like we've created some serious monsters and then circumstances arose where I had to step away from that, uh, from that team for the, for the, I think the last half of the season, but they went on to win the the grand final in their first season, which was awesome. And like, I'm certainly not taking any credit for it because Matt did all the work, but I, I couldn't help sit back and be really proud of watching the girls week in and week out, go in and, just crush everyone. And even a couple of teams that were particularly skilled, like they'd played a lot of football in the past. Mm -hmm. They were going up against them and they were like, you know, I think the tie-up girls had a list of maybe 60 or 70% of girls had never played football before. Mm. They were learning the game as they played it. They were putting up a really strong fight against teams that were, you know, that had cemented teams in the um women's football league around the peninsula and stuff for a really long time. So it was awesome to watch. And that made me feel really not, not just proud of, my, like, proud of my input, but also proud that I, I fell back on the principles and I stuck to them. Even when you know I was constantly being, being pressured and told by people that I needed to be doing more, I had the support of Matt and, and I even had the support of Katie as well. But there was so much pressure being put on me from a lot of different people saying, you need to be doing more, you're not doing enough. And I thought to myself, I think we're doing enough because I'm watching the results play out in front of my eyes, mm. and the girls are playing as a team, and I'm really loving the the, the cohesion. And then in that first pre-match, uh, that first um, preseason game, that was when it all kind of came together. And I just remember looking at Matt at halftime when all the girls went back out and they threw the ball up in the air. I just looked at Matt and I was like, the girls don't want to play. Like Piercedale girls don't want to play. They're cooked. Like they just want to stop. And Matt's like, this is good. Like you know it feels good to know that all the work that you put in. I was like, no, 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 no. this is their work. They mm. did all the work. I just sat there and did some maths. Like <laughs> it's easy to do the maths. I didn't get dirty. I kicked a football around and had a muck around. I didn't do the running. I didn't do the skills. I didn't do the net. I just came up with these formulas and said, do this. And watching it all unfold was really, really, great. Very satisfying moment for me.
0: Yeah. And those girls, like spoken to one of them, Darcy Hansen, who was, oh I can't remember earlier yeah earlier in season two and like the amazing things in the community that they have built and you know you were part of that foundation community is something definitely very special
1: yeah it feels it feels good to like it's a great memory to have but it's also great to you know still be on that fan page and look at the girls and and being able to pick out familiar faces still playing and even seeing girls from that first season that aren't playing anymore, but are still active in that community is, is a really awesome feeling, you know, like it's great to be able to see that they have built themselves something really special. And even if I was responsible for laying one brick in that foundation, it's awesome to be, it's awesome to be able to sit back and look at that garden and and look at how well it's growing and and just feel a sense of pride at them. You know, it's Mm. just, it's just wonderful to see what they've been able to do in the last five years.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I can't wait to see what they do in the next five. But speaking of the next five, where do you see either the future of sport or the future of, you know, the sporting industry, the future of the fitness industry? Where where do you see it?
1: <laughs> Jeepers. Uh, I it's mean, a, a big loaded hole. question, Jeepers isn't the- it? <laughs> yeah the future of i mean i've got I've, I've got an interesting idea around the future of sport, which is very contentious but um it's it would actually be um, regulating performance enhancement drugs because I have been reading a lot of research lately that suggests there's a lot of efficacy around using things like um like let's use steroids as a broad umbrella term right mm-hmm. uh, as a pre surgery and a post surgery rehabilitation tool. Not just in terms of getting an athlete back to playing the sport quicker, but in terms of longevity of the tissue, mm. uh, because we're seeing significant re-injury rates, and we still do. Like, let's use AS- ACL as a as a uh, as an as an example. One out of four ACLs, um, I think that's what the, the oh no, three out of four ACLs. 75% ACLs are non-contact, mm-hmm. so they're jumping and landing or or changing direction based. And of those, a significant number of women, right? So right off the bat, that says to me that there is a physiological load being imposed on women's tissue that just isn't able to uh, withstand the force that's being put into that. Now, that mm-hmm. could be so many different things. It could be a low level of time playing the sport, so, which happened with football when we started introducing female football leagues. A lot of soft tissue injuries and ACLs were being reported because not many people played football and now mm-hmm. they play football could be body composition related it's no secret that there are bigger girls playing football i love it and they hit friggin' hard but at the same time that's a lot of mass accelerating and having to decelerate and i watched hamstring and knee and achilles injuries for half a season on both sides and it was heartbreaking Mm. but at the same time you can't step in and say hey we have to regulate this because that's unfair and it's and it's actually discrimination and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be tolerable but that is a a physiological realization we have to meet. Uh, And it could also be, you know, some sort of accident, you know, you get hit or from a different direction, or you have to um, respond to maybe someone landing on someone's foot, which was something that had to do with recently with someone's ankle. So these things, these things occur. Now that's not my issue because, you know, injuries suck, shit happens. Life goes on. We rehabilitate. My, my issue comes from the, the re-injury rates, which are, still alarmingly high and that tells me one of two things either the people going back to sport after they've rehabilitated they weren't ready or we're really shit at our job as strengthening condition or as a health and fitness industry as a clinical and coaching industry we're really shit at our job we either missed something or the person went back and they weren't ready either Mm. way that's on us as the coaches now there's a lot of really interesting um science that's coming through that suggests that you know the use of umbrella term steroids helps with tissue integration because it helped in terms of increasing your um your recovery rate like you're trying to get some more protein synthesis happening at the site but not in terms of a return to sport timeline i would rather just see it as a let's make sure we've we've ticked off all the boxes and if that means you know we take a nine month turnaround injury for most ACLs and we turn that into a, a 12 to 16 month to ensure that there aren't any more performance enhancements in the system. Fine. But at least it's from a health perspective, something we could consider maybe employing, particularly at a higher level, uh, because the sports are getting faster. They're getting so much more faster and they're so much more violent, so much more aggressive. And I love watching it. We all love watching how much more um, uh, athleticism people can squeeze out of themselves but with that increased rate of force comes a greater demand of force absorption and the bodies of some of these people aren't able to tolerate it that's fine but then they go back and they re and they re mm. and you see that in a ter- like in a lot of later later stage career athletes you know like to throw an example out there dale morris from western bulldogs in 2000 probably 17 or 18 um that was his last year he injured his hamstring oh no sorry he injured his um his ACL and then he came back in his last year and he was forced to retire early because he did his ACL again I know the person that handled his rehab personally and I'm not suggesting for a minute that he missed anything because I know his systems I know his principles and they're rock solid but what I am suggesting is that Dale Morris wasn't young and it might have just been one of those things where it's like the body can't handle it anymore Mm -hmm. which is fine but Now, what's what's on the docket for Dale Morris for the rest of his life? You know, he's had two knee reconstructions and he's in his late thirties. That's pretty shit. So, is there something that we could have done after that first reconstruction to maybe support longevity of Dale Morris as an athlete for the rest of his life, or do we have to consider the fact that you know maybe those those first initial injuries as a cut point when you say, hey, you're X amount of years old and we have to weigh up the risks? I don't I don't know. All I know is the future of sport. It's going to get a lot more, a lot faster, a lot more impact and exciting, but we need to think better ways to prepare our, our athletes. Otherwise we're going to keep having the same problems, which is recurring injury rates. I think the last statistic I read was like three out of 10 people go back to sport after mm. they have a, um, an ACL injury, three out of 10 will go back to sport uh so that means that seven out of ten don't and there's a significant number of people that do want to go back to sport but they just don't go back from whatever it is could be you know they just don't want to play anymore it could be fear but of those three out of ten i think there's a 55 percent chance of re-injury and there's a there's a more like a bigger chance of injuring the other side mm. so that's crazy like how are we? How are we having these these re-injury rates, and sometimes not even on the same side as the as the initial injury, is it mm. because we're just strengthening one side, ignoring the other. So those are things that, you know plague my mind all the time. But the future of sport is is definitely exciting, uh, particularly with a lot of younger uh, athletes adopting you know strength, conditioning, and performance um, principles. I'm just yeah, I'm just nervous for the clinical side of things. I really wouldn't mind seeing the clinical side of things catch up a bit.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, like we're starting to talk about, I guess, the last five to 10 years about sports psych and how important the role of sports psych is in making sure that an uh, athlete is not just an athlete, but is a person as well. But like, how do we leave their bodies at the end of their career, at the end of their professional yeah. career? And that's, I guess, what you're talking about is, well, yeah, it's all well and good that they had you know, two knee before that age of 40. But what is this man going to be doing when he's 70? Like, is he going to even be able to walk?
1: The, the hard thing as well is that, you know, with these later later aged athletes in this last era, their whole identity is based around the sport. They mm. didn't have the opportunities to go to university like a lot of the younger athletes do now where they do a part-time degree and they are playing a full-time sport. They leave the sport with nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Fraser Gehrig from St. Kilda was the guy that laid the turf. What's his business? Laid the turf at Virtus, which was great to see that he was doing something, you know, but it's not Fraser Gehrig out there on his hands and knees laying turf because I'm pretty sure his body can't handle the rigors of that. So, you know, you think to yourself, well, what are they capable of doing now that they can't play sport anymore and they've got a a bodgy knee? You know, I've I've hurt my knee 16,000 times.
2: Mm.
1: I've never had surgery on it, thankfully. But it still hurts from time to time and I don't sport. The only reason I'm able to put up with it, I guess, is because it's just one of those things where I think, well, this is this is the job, but do we just accept that, you know, that aches and pains are part of the job or do we have to sit there and say, maybe there's a better way? Mm. Uh, I don't know the answer to it, but I think the future of sport is going to revolve somewhere around um, that answer. And yeah, I mean, it can only make, it could only make the sport better.
0: That's it. Yeah. And I hope, I hope it does have a positive. And I think the way that we're moving at the moment anyway, is going to show that the athlete is not just an athlete, they're a person. So I, I do see yeah. the future of sport being a whole, not holistic as in a fluffy holistic, but I do see it to take the whole picture into consideration.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I really do. Um, because yeah, otherwise I'm just going to keep being in this jaded grumpy old coach wondering why I, you know, I feel like I'm walking around with blinkers on, you know, it's insane <laughs> to watch. I mean, if you look at CrossFit as another quick example, there's at least once a year, there's some athlete that gets caught taking performance enhancing managing drugs. Mm. Fine. I don't care, whatever. It's not my sport. People get invested in it emotionally. That's fine. But when you put money on the line or prestige on the line, people will start to cut corners. People will start to look for the edge. I feel like if we're if we're going to be doing that, we might as well just regulate the whole system and say, "Hey, if you want to jump into a sport that is regulated in this way, but you want to see what you can do, then go for it. Mm. Here is all the research that shows what happens to your body when you put yourself through this shit. But don't you know? Don't sit there and do it and pretend like you're not, mm-hmm. and then get caught doing it and then." Sit on your high horse and say sorry. Hindsight's a bit, and it's always twenty twenty. If you want to do it, do it. But you know, let's set aside a sport specifically for you, and let's see if you can really juice that lemon for all of its worth. If you can't or you don't want to, then you have to cop the consequences when you get caught. So don't sit there and say this is shit. But with CrossFit, I have this jaded view when I look at the CrossFit Games, and I think some of these athletes, their training loads are phenomenal physiologically very demanding and then you know you only have to go back six or seven years and look at some of them and look at the changes in their body and you think i don't know if 365 days of training a year makes someone look like i don't know if that's the case if Hmm. i'm wrong i'm having i don't know and then everyone always jokes about oh yeah they're all roided up i don't know if they are but then some top 10 girl comes out and gets caught exposed and you think well maybe maybe not and you don't know but they're all quick to sort of jump on each other and i just think to myself fuck it you know lift the veil Hmm. just do it if you want to do it then do it but uh be aware of the consequences because it's a consequence for everything and if that's the case it'd make for a really exciting sport uh and then you wouldn't have any questions you wouldn't be sitting there saying hey i wonder who i wonder who isn't
2: Hmm. sit there
1: and go the greatest athletes of all time and they're putting bodies through tremendous torture for our enjoyment which is what people do anyway Mm -hmm. that's what afl football netballers do. They. It's what weightlifters do. They put their body through torture for our enjoyment. I don't know. Maybe that's the future of sport. It's not a. It's not a common. Um, it's not a commonly agreed upon thing. But again, I. I'm just at that stage in my career. I'm like, why not? It'd be fun to watch if people are doing it anyway. It'd be fun to watch.
0: Mm, and it's not the first time I've heard that, and I haven't heard it in the context of CrossFit before, but I've have heard it in the context of cycling and probably a bit more broad and known is. Obviously, all the scandals that happened in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, everyone yeah. know Lance Armstrong, like household name, but like they were all doing it and it was just no one was talking about it.
1: Yeah, that's the consensus that, you know, came out that everyone was doing it. So then why didn't Lance get ahead of it mm. when someone said, hey, we think this and he just turned and go, "Oh well, yeah, you're right, but we're all doing it. Mm. And then it would have been a completely different story than him sitting there saying no, 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 no. And then Oprah comes along and says, did you do it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, why do we care that Oprah is the one that gets it out of him? The guy lied about it, so mm-hmm. he should be punished. But at the same time, don't just sweep everything else under the rug. Let's, let's look at it all. And then you watch that Netflix doco, uh, Icarus, mm-hmm. where, you know, that guy puts his literal life on the line and says, let me show you how it's done. And then he does it. And then he objectively shows you the, the performance enhancing result. And people are still sitting there going, oh, yeah, but, you know, I don't know if it's everyone. I'm like, well, who knows if it is or because we don't know. But if you want to lift the veil, mm. you just say, hey, go at it. Everyone gets bloods done every month. They're mm-hmm. not to test whether you're on it or not. They're to test your health. Yeah. Because if you want to sacrifice your health for this, then go for it. But understand that that's the cost of glory. And it would make for a hell of an exciting sport to watch. Because you are and they're not going... Who is and who isn't? Mm-hmm. The same thing happened with Pontador. Like um, he came out and said he's not, and then they poured out his bloods and said, "Well, these bloods say so are." And he goes, "That's not mine." And then did a urine sample. He's like, "That's not mine." And then they did a, a urine B sample. He's like, "Okay, that's mine." Like,
2: yeah. Of course, it was
1: yours the whole time, dude. It, yeah, it's just so frustrating. I just, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm a grumpy old man. I sit there and go, "Why don't we just, you know, if you want to, if you want to do it, then don't do it in a way that's cheating. Just mm. do it in a way that's regulated." And then, wouldn't you know it? Everyone's going to be doing the same thing, and we're going to be seeing a whole different class of sport. But uh, and that's not a very commonly shared opinion. <laughs> Which no, is, I mean, it's not really it, my
0: fault. It might not be commonly shared, but you're allowed to have your own opinion, and it's valid to what you've experienced. And I don't know how I would feel if I was clean in air quotation marks athlete, and everyone else was doping. Like, I would want to know. Yes, what would my body be capable of? naturally but at the same time the first thing i do in the morning is reach for that cup of coffee so
1: which is I, a performance enhancing drug yeah exactly it's incredible isn't it mm-hmm. and it's the same when we talk like you know you'll look at um an afl footballer and they'll cop a stinger and they'll come off right and they get put some analgesic cream on it or some anal- analgesic spray that's changing the nociceptive properties of that tissue hmm the body said, "I can't perform this task anymore because I have sustained tissue damage." And then the physio or the doc sprays or injects something in, and then, oh, hey presto, there's no pain anymore. That's performance enhancing. By very definition, you've enhanced the performance. And then, oh, that player's back out again. That's a health hazard, mm. but no one bats an eye at it because it might be the best player in the team and they need to win. Fine. But if we're going to go down this path, I'm telling people it's a slippery road. And when you know, we turn around and start talking about the the dreaded steroid, I'm thinking, hey, there's a lot of science to suggest the efficacy of this drug, this performance-enhancing drug, as a, uh, a tissue solidifier, as something that helps restore and improve that protein synthesis through the tissue. There is a lot of science and validity to suggest that this isn't a... Uh, a, a taboo method mm. and it could be viable health strategy for people uh, but it's performance enhancing so you have to decide where do we lay on this or like where do we fall on this and it's easy for a lot of people to sit on the couch and watch sports to go no nah, won't have it in my sport mm. it's not your sport don't you play it you watch it and you don't get a say mm-hmm. if you don't want to watch it then don't watch it but it's not your sport it's their sport Mm-hmm. i'm just, i'm you know i sit between the two and i have to constantly volleyball between the two and say, hey it's not your sport, it's their sport By the way, this person's opinion is different to yours they play it you can't irrefute their um their their point of view because they are in it you know, mm. they're the gladiator getting swung at so they're the one that gets to decide but at the same time you have to have regulating bodies as well
0: Mm, and how much effort's going to go into that. Yeah, very, very interesting. And I'm very grateful that I'm not responsible <laughs> for regulating it, to be honest. Me
2: too, <laughs> me too.
0: Oh Well, Cam, thank you so, so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate your time and the knowledge and the wisdom.
1: <laughs> thank you. I, uh, yeah, I guess I try my best to add value <laughs> if I can. Uh, sometimes I'd get on little tangents.
0: No, I liked them. And my favorite one is the gearbox. So I'm going to be talking about the gearbox for the next few weeks.
1: Awesome. Practice the gearbox, especially when you're doing your (laughs) running.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.